Coming up, grocery marts, body parts, and modern art. Also, we're casting out demons, answering questions, and you, dear listener, get an extra helping of Nova Scotia hospitality. It's a chef out special, boys and girls, and it's only on this sous vide episode of Kiss the Goat. Let's consider the horror movies that delve into the supernatural realm with a particular focus on demonic activity. I'm Cootie. My name is X, and this is Kiss Kiss the the Goat. Light a candle for the sinners, set the world on fire. Welcome to the online shrine of satanic cinema. It's too late to turn back now because this circle is closed and no one may enter or exit without the express written permission of Mark Ball. This is episode 44 of Kiss the Goat and welcome to it. We've got a very special show for you this time around. All our shows are special. Yeah, but this is like a very special episode, like of an 80s sitcom. (laughs) So are you going to call me out for taking speed when I just need to study for my exam so I can be valedictorian? Are you going to touch me in an inappropriate fashion when I ask you to fix my bike? Yes. Yes, I will touch you inappropriately whenever I can. (laughs) Talk about different strokes. (laughs) But the real reason this is a special episode is because X and I didn't pick the movie. It's true. Our own Chef Al celebrated a birthday recently. He's 74. And spry, still sharp as a tack. As our gift to Chef Al, we're covering a movie that he asked us to cover months ago. It's one of his favorites and one that has a fairly healthy cult following. Hold on to your polyester as we discuss the 1973 underground hit, Messiah of Evil. Yeah, but we got lots to do before that. And even more to do after that. Buy the ticket, take the ride, hold on through the break, kids, and we'll get this party started right. We'll get this party started quickly. Right? Are you sick of the same old stale podcast? Well, then join Vanessa and David as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on iTunes, and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VDClinicPod or email them at VDClinicPod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. And still, they just might be contagious. 
Get information or a pamphlet at most pharmacies or a health clinic. If you need help, see a doctor. Get ready to drive some pigs over a cliff. It's time to get your exercise. It's the power of Christ that compels you. The power of Christ compels you. That the power of Christ compels you. 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 Are you sick? Are you miserable? Are you crippled? You my kind of people. So it's been a while since we checked in with a man who calls himself the real exorcist, Bob Larson. You know, referring to yourself as the real exorcist is kind of like saying you're one of the real Ghostbusters, but whatever. Bob is dealing with a woman named Noella, and she appears to be a Native American. She's also possessed by what Bob refers to as a demon named Eagle. And the thing about this particular work is that Bob Larson is not only supremely confident, but he's arrogant. He's an absolute dick to this woman. This should come as no surprise to anyone who's listened to this show before, but let's get into this exorcism so you can hear for yourself. What's your first name? Noella. What? Noella. What brought you here tonight? I'm very tired. Okay. How long have you been tormented like this? For 10 years. What happened 10 years ago? My mom died. Since your mom died, you've been tormented like this? Well, my sister said that she was going to pray for me. And she started praying to this um, spirit called Grandfather Eagle Feather. Do you understand that when your sister prayed to this Grandfather Eagle Feather, that she, though she didn't mean to, was praying to a demon? So Bob instantly calls out this entity called Grandfather Eagle Feather as a demon, which is a fantastic demonstration of the white Protestant mindset. All other religions are invalid, especially if it's a Native American belief system. In this case, the exorcism is the spiritual equivalent of throwing this woman a smallpox-infected blanket. And she opened you up to demonic forces. Someone else praying for her opened her up to demonic forces? Does this make sense to anyone? That's like saying, I ate a gigantic bowl of chili and my sister got gas. Yeah. I breathe on you, the Holy Spirit. Okay, Bob breathes the Holy Spirit onto her. This involves him blowing into her face. No wonder she reacted poorly. It would piss me off too, especially since Bob looks like the kind of guy who eats a lot of garlic. Keeps away the vampires. We're 600. You think you're going to do 600 tonight? You're 600 strong. I don't think I could do 600 tonight. A legion, maybe. And here's Bob pandering to his people like a shitty game show host. He says he can't handle 600 demons, but he could handle a legion. You know, a Roman legion consists of 5,120 soldiers. So this is Bob saying, bring it on, and his studio audience thinks it's hilarious. Don't you use foul language on me or you're going to get seven times greater judgment. Hush. Hush. Get up and face me, Mom. Get me up. 
she flat out says Bob is a nut right here. If there was ever a sign that this woman is not possessed, it's right there. There you go. She's fine. We don't listen to you. Never. You are a glutton for punishment. You reviled the servant of the Most High God. Judgment seven times greater than the wrath of God. No! Goodness, God doesn't give me no break. <laughs> you know, I've tried for years to write a book called Demons Say the Darnest Things. Demons Say the Darndest Things. This fucking guy. You know, it should be easy to write that book. All he has to do is go back through the scripts he provides these people who step up for a supposed cleansing. I want the eagle. Jesus doesn't love this one. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. spirit. Judgment again. Jesus does love her. That's why she's here. Quit lying to her. You don't deserve to talk about him. I don't need to tell you who I am. Who are you? I am somebody that's even more powerful than what you want. Who are you? I have legions that can come against you. You don't want me. Say I the eagle. Don't flow with me. I'll be born and fool with you. I'll take that sword. I will hurt you bad. You are not gonna hurt me and lay a hand on me. The blood of Christ covers me. And I draw the blood line between Jesus. Now the woman says she's gonna hurt Bob. And he tells her that's not possible because of the protection of the blood of Christ. Also, the two guys behind the woman holding her arms. Also, the guy standing behind Bob ready to spring in case shit goes nuts. So what he's really saying is, if you come at me, these people all around you are going to fuck you up. Oh, and we also want you to be aware that when the sound drops out, like something is being edited out, that's on the original video. We don't bleep out shit. But if you watch the video, it's obvious the woman is saying, fuck you. Jesus, save I the eagle. Fred! I the eagle. And the python. And the python. And the screaming because Bob keeps whacking her on the head with his Bible. 
He's blowing in her face, hitting her with a book. These are torture techniques. Why don't they bring out the holy bamboo shoots to stick under her fingernails? Come out of here. We are finally at the end of this travesty here, and I want to point out that unlike other exorcisms, the woman never claims to be cleansed. She doesn't praise the name of Jesus. She doesn't say thank you. She just sort of taps out. She gives Bob a perfunctory embrace, which looks like one of those sick, clammy hugs you give your uncle after he warns you not to tell anybody about what just happened or he's going to kill your mom. Another satisfied customer. Pack up the tents and move this circus to another town. Make sure the marks buy a program on the way out. Look, I know we say this all the time, and we're probably preaching to the choir, but people, be aware, exorcists are everywhere. It's about power. It's about spectacle, and it's about money. Your money. These people are like soda machines. They'll give you whatever you want as long as you drop the money in the slot, and they do not give change. Imagine going to a doctor for a real problem, and he just slapped you on the head with a copy of Grey's Anatomy and told you everything was better now. Would you agree with that? Would, would you be okay with that? This shit just runs all over me. <laughs> all right. Well, X is all worked up now, so he's going to get another drink. Uh, two drinks. Three. Seven. Right. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Chef Al, and we'll find out exactly why he loves the movie Messiah of Evil. Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth, the Psycho Semantic Cast. Let us face without panic the reality of our time, the fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off uh, you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew them. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. Not far from here, 
There's a small town on the coast. They used to call it New Bethlehem, but they changed the name to Point Dune after the moon turned blood red. Point Dune doesn't look any different than a thousand other neon stucco towns. But what happened there, what they did to me, what they're doing now, they're coming here. They're waiting at the edge of the city. They're peering around buildings at night. And they're waiting. They're waiting for you. And they'll take you one by one and no one will hear you scream. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat, and it's Alapalooza! Let's go ahead and bring Chef Al on board, seeing as how this is a movie he's wanted to talk about for a while now. Happy to have him here for the main discussion, all the way from Nova Scotia. Chef Al McPherson, everyone! Hi, Al. Howdy do! <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hello. Yes. Good to have you, as always, sir. It's been too long. <laughs> <laughs> it really has. <laughs> It feels like we haven't talked in ages. No, it's having this strange sense of deja vu, though. But uh... <laughs> well, you know, the universe is strange like that. That is true. That is true. <laughs> so um, I don't know about you guys, but I really want to start this discussion about this movie by talking about that fucking theme song. I mean, really, what the hell's going on here? We see a guy basically running for his life down the sidewalk, but the music during the scene is like a weird torch song that you would hear in a third-rate nightclub. You know, it's about three in the morning, all the customers are drunk, the band is drunk, the singer is drunk. <laughs> Seriously, what's going on here? It's, it's kind of like getting a pap smear to Johnny Mathis. <laughs> <laughs> it's Chances so bad. Are... Since I have a speculum. It, it had the vibe to me of like uh, a groovy nightclub scene from Ironside.
Yeah, very much so. Uh, Special guest star, Mariette Hartley. <laughs> and James Sorrentino is Jimmy Rivers. Um, <laughs> a Quinn Martin production. It's so loud, too. It's really jarring. It's like a lot louder than the audio track or anything else in the film, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it goes on forever. It's almost like they're trying to do like a a quote unquote nice song in a discordant way to yeah. create um, an air of unease, but it's just sort of an inept, ill-conceived song. It really is, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we won't be hearing any uh, modernized covers of it. I think that's the. Uh... No, no, we will not. The retro jukebox will not. Take that. <laughs> oh, but I wish we would. I bet Tori Amos could just rock that. Fuck, it'd be 15 minutes long, <laughs> and she would make and she would make every word have 30 uh-huh. syllables. And it would have harpsichord, so forth. And there'd be like 1% of the audience that recognized where it was from that would be freaking the fuck out. <laughs> and we would be part of that 1%. Yeah, that would be the biggest, dorkiest call we could possibly do. That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> She would just be like, this song is called Drown in a Family. That was by Tori. How'd you it like was beautiful. That, I'm, I'm totally for it. Yeah, I'm sure you are. So, <laughs> so the opening scene is, like you said, it's this guy running for his life and that horrible music is playing. Maybe it's playing on loudspeakers that are in town. And that's why that's he's running. Why it's actually... <laughs> Yeah, he's trying to really just get away from Hold On to Love. He was at the worst swingers party ever. <laughs> that was the mood music. And it's like he started really reevaluating his life choices. He's trying to get away from Charlotte Ray. <laughs> so when he's while he's running, this girl kind of peeks out from a door. Um, and he sees her. And basically, he just wants to come in. To where she is and hide, and she's wearing a swimsuit that's made out of the Brady Bunch, and he collapses by the pool, and he kisses her hand, and I oddly chivalrous for that specific situation, but he kisses her hand, and then she cuts her throat, and that's marriage. Oh, it's art. After the guy gets his throat cut by the girl in the Brady Bunch swimsuit who looks like the girl that put the cockroach on a string uh, and Rowan Morrison's desk of the Wicker Man. Yeah, it's an intense, like, chin-forehead ratio. Yes, very intense. It is not the golden ratio. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's the aluminum foil ratio. Yeah, that is the pink ice ratio. (laughs) Um, So then we meet our main character, and the question pops up immediately, how much voiceover does a movie need? Because I think this movie is probably about 45 to 50% voiceover. Yeah, it, it's pushing like an animated feature, like in terms of voice work. It, it, it's pushing the theatrical cut of Blade Runner. <laughs> the charmer's name was Gaff. I'd seen him around. Brian must have upped him to the Blade Runner unit. That gibberish he talked was city-speak, gutter talk, a mishmash of Japanese, Spanish, German, what have you. It's just 
voiceover all the time. It's like, you see her driving her car. She's like, I was driving my car. I went there looking for my father. He used to spend winters in Point Dune painting. Then, after my mother died, he stayed. And his letters became our only contact. Until recently, when his letters became more and more bizarre and finally stopped. I have little time now. I can't write again. We know. We notice. We can. We, we see you doing that. You're driving your I'm car, actually, and you're going, well, she goes to a gas station. To come. She's in this weird little coastal town in California. She's trying to find her dad, so she pulls into a gas station, and the attendant is also a little bit twitchy. Um, everybody in the town is is weird. But then another vehicle pulls up, and it's a truck that's being driven by an albino African-American. And you do not see that every day. Not in the, so, in the circles that I hang out in anyway. Benny? Is that his name? Because that seems correct. Who, the African-American dude? Um, yeah. I, I think his name is Benny, and the dead people in the back of his truck are the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That makes a lot of things make more sense. <laughs> Set me up. So the question is, where is this guy going? How did he get this route? Because it's got to be harder to get than a paper route. <laughs> Were you taking these bodies? <laughs> you know, this is not really an explanation for that. Anyway, our, our main character, whose name is Arletty, and that is such an interesting name to me. What is the nickname for that? R? I would just call her Our Lady all the time. Arletty, Our Lady, Our Lady? Our Lady, Our Lady. That's a tongue twister if I've ever heard one. She takes off, and then the gas station attendant is murdered, and he gets hoisted by his ankles by his own engine winch. So I don't know if that's irony or just terrible bad luck. Maybe he had a dispute with the Better Business Bureau. <laughs> I don't know. There's some OSHA issues with that, happen. though. Like, there, are some, <laughs> there are definitely yeah, some there's OSHA some issues. some best practices not being followed. Definitely. That is not a safe <laughs> workplace. No. Don't bleed on an engine. <laughs> If you see someone carrying dead people in the back of a van, maybe call it in. Yeah, <laughs> at least like that. call your manager. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think I think he was self-employed. I think that was his shop. You so. still have a responsibility to the Commonweal. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, but this scene, like, if the if the first scene didn't set us up for just kind of the the chaos and the the weird fucking energy that's carried throughout this movie this scene does because from the moment she steps out of her car like the gas station attendants fucking shooting a firearm off into the woods in the darkness over beside the the gas station and then he's all twitchy about pumping her gas and then once the the albino african-american guy pulls up and he sees the dead bodies in the back of the truck he's just like oh shit's gone south and he basically just runs her off he's like i can't take your credit card just just go it's okay just go machine's broken but he does have time to like stick around and work on that car (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't think maybe i should just go home (laughs) nope this is my business i can close whenever i want no i'm gonna stay here and it's a hemi. I kind of have to <laughs> I gotta work on this. So Arletti finally makes it into the town of Point Dune, California. This is, again, the coastal town where her father lives. I went there looking for my father. He used to spend winters in Point Dune painting. Then, after my mother died, he stayed. And his letters became our only contact. Until recently, 
when his letters became more and more bizarre and finally stopped. I have little time now. I can't write again. You mustn't worry. And please, you must promise not to follow me. I'm afraid to see people anymore. It's better that I wait alone for it to come. Now, did they not make a point of mentioning that the original name was Bethlehem? Or did I just imagine that? I think you have it confused with Salem's Lot. Mm. No, I have no fucking idea. I don't. I didn't pick up on that. Okay. Yeah, I missed that. Too. I'm not saying it's wrong. No, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I didn't pick up on that. But that's probably because I was too busy humming "Hold On to Love" <laughs> in my head. So. Hold on to love. Hold on. She finds her dad's house. The door is locked. The lights are on. No one's home. Her mind is not her own. So she breaks a window and climbs in. Now, this is especially hilarious because when she's walking around the kitchen, we can clearly see that there's a breeze blowing through, blowing the curtains around. So there was another window that was obviously open. Asshole. So, right? It's a lack of hesitation with breaking the window, too. It's just like, this is the routine we established at a young age. Like... Can't find a key. I'm just going to bust in the damn window. Yeah. It's the 70s. Like, the whole latchkey kid thing hadn't even really been a thing. So, you know. No, but broken window children were definitely part yep. of the conversation. Right through the trans <laughs> kids were a major problem in the 70s. I got a tab with the glass shop. It's fine. Her father is an artist, and I guess he's kind of a pop artist. The walls are covered with, like, all sorts of gestalt people. One of them looks like J. Edgar Hoover, and one looks like Lee Harvey Oswald. It's kind of like if you took yellow submarine and just made it black and white <laughs> submarine. It's, now, it's, it's cool shit. Don't get me wrong. It's one of my favorite aspects of this whole movie. But it's definitely some... Cra it's, it's, it's crazy. It's weird. And when Arletti goes into town to ask if anybody has seen her father, even the art gallery owner is like, oh, fuck no, no. We do not touch his stuff. We wouldn't touch that voodoo with your dick. And your father's a weirdo, by the way. <laughs> so already she's already realizing daddy's not real well liked in town. <laughs> uh, this is probably a really terrible idea. But there were some people. There were some people asking about her dad's work, and they're staying at this motel, which. Again, I think it's the seventh seal. I don't know. The seven seas, something like that. And so she goes there. She goes to the hotel room, and there's this old derelict, played by Elisha Cook Jr., by the way, who was in a fuck ton of incredibly great horror movies back in the 50s and 60s. Really? You'll recognize the face. Yes, absolutely. Um, the original 13 Ghosts comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. See? Dude. There you go. So he's being interviewed by this weird threesome. It's a man and two woman. It's kind of like how Three's Company should have been because these folks are obviously begging each other. No subterfuge, no wacky slapstick. Nope, just all in. But the old dude is talking crazy shit. He's like talking about what happens when the blood moon rises and the dark stranger emerges from the sea. And I'm 600 years old. I'm as old as the hills. Mama delivered me herself. She took me from between her legs. Bloody little mess. Just about to feed me to the chickens. And Daddy said, maybe we could use a boy, Lottie. 
That's how I came into the world. But I... I remember the red moon my daddy told me about only once. Mama gave him a bad look when he talked about it. He was only a boy himself then. He called it the blood moon. Well, then I have 12 feet on one toe. <laughs> That's just weird. <laughs> it's vaguely Lovecraftian, and he's talking about old gods and people bleeding out of control and children eating of flesh. It's really the kind of stuff that you expect to hear from people who live, you know, in the alley. But afterwards, the crazy guy tells Arletti that, oh yeah, her father knows what's going on. He knows her father, and her father understands the entire strangeness. And that she has to kill him, but she can't bury him. Gotta burn him. She gotta burn gotta burn yep. him. Mm -hmm. Which is just smart advice anyway. It really is. I think so. Yeah. It the, one thing that's kind of this is where the Lovecraft uh, influence is like really starting to come in. But um, you also get uh, with our investigative uh, sexy trio. Uh, there's very much sort of <laughs> like a I don't know a, a, a post hippie uh, like devil rides out kind of vibe with this too mm -hmm. like you yeah. have this sort of um i don't know i don't want to say a feat but um swanky well there's no there's no neck ruffles but it's very close if it's not carnaby street it's at least carnaby avenue <laughs> <laughs> well said yeah <laughs> but it, it like that sort of character is like quite a almost a cliche now but uh oh yeah it's it, it's kind of interesting to see something like that show up um especially where like everything yeah you know, for is like a big state of unknowing and just like craziness being thrown at you and in comes someone who you know is sort of like this decadent dandy i guess that's the best way to put it seems to if not know what's going on have some idea of how to be prepared for it a bit it's strange to see it in an american film especially now if he had shown up like in psychomania we'd have been like oh well of course yeah <laughs> he belongs in this universe but exactly. i don't know what the fuck he's doing in california no he's it's like he's visiting from another subgenre <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> a day pass. <laughs> it's also notable at this point too. Like this movie, before the concept of the crazy Ralph is even really established, we've already had two. That's true. The foreboders of doom, the the the, the soothsayers, almost. Yeah. And the gas station attendant. Right. Hmm. Just go get out. Go back to your civilization. Our your credit cards don't work here. <laughs> Do you hear me? <laughs> Your cards do not work! <laughs> so, after the crazy guy gets killed for talking to Arletti, the, I love, what did you say, the investigative sexy trio? That's so Scooby-Doo. I love it so hard. 
They get kicked out of the hotel that they're staying in, so they naturally just wind up at Arletti's place. And I guess they came in through either the broken window or the one that was already open in the window, but when Arletti gets home, they're already inside. There's a chick who just got out of the shower, the other chick's half naked, and the the dude is just kind of skulking around the kitchen pretending to be Peter Cushing. For the record, I do that. she doesn't say... I could totally see you doing that now. Yeah, that's how I get centered. Arlene, that's legit. It works. I could see you just standing in the bathroom looking in the mirror. You're far too trusting. (laughs) Arlene does not kick these people out. She lets them stay. She she barely even raises a fuss. Just kind of like, how'd you get in here? And they're like, oh, well, dumbass, you broke the window. So, wasn't hard. She, like, cooks some dinner. She's just, I, I don't know, I guess she's just happy for the company. But it's still a very strange situation because neither of the girls want the dude to have sex with Arletti, even though they say, guess what? He's going to seduce you. And it's just going to happen. And you won't be able to stop it because this is 1973. Well, he's got that linen suit. Like, uh, he, yeah. Uh, and that hair. I mean, oh he's my got God. the Ricky Morton hair. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty dreamy. <laughs> it is dreamy. <laughs> it's something special. Oh, now all throughout this, there's other weird shit going on. Arletti's father left a diary, which, um, is also presented to the audience in voiceover. Arletty called this morning. I listened to her, but couldn't let her know I was here. My voice would have terrified her. At times, I make noises which don't seem human, and my mind is letting go. I try to remember the past, my daughter, but I can't. Instead, I, I think of death. Always death. More of Hooray. Yeah. It's very neatly printed, so we could read it. But no, just in case you cannot read, we're going to go ahead and provide, like, descriptive, um, you know, captioning for you. So you get to see the diary and hear someone read it at the same time. And this diary is all about women with sleepless eyes and horrid animals and shadowy figures staring toward the black water waiting for the dark stranger to return. Now, what's the dark stranger going to do at this point? No idea. (laughs) He's either, he's going to sell insurance, maybe. Maybe he's got some great new country songs to play for us. I don't know. We can only hope. We know he's dark. That, we do know, yes, we do know he's dark. But we don't know if that's skin tone, clothing, or sense of humor. <laughs> and it could be all three. <laughs> also, the townspeople have this weird little habit of building fires on the beach at night and staring out at the ocean. So they're Jimmy Buffett fans. They are parrot heads. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and the dark stranger is also known as the son of a son of a sailor. <laughs> dump that in it would work <laughs> but our lady can't figure this out she's not smart enough to figure it out she's just like oh i don't know um, are the grunions spawning is that what's going on here no idea so let's talk about the strangers in her house we have the guy whose name is tom and that is tom with an h 
and because I hate fuck that. that guy. Why? Why, Thom? Why do you keep the H, Thomas? <laughs> anyway, he's part Portuguese and part American, and he describes himself as a collector of legends. Again, fuck that guy. Yeah, right? For Christ's sake. That might work in a bar, but it doesn't work when you've broken into someone's house and made yourself pasta. It's like, who the fuck do you think you are, Garth Marenghi? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, if only he'd said he was a dream weaver. He is not. That would have been the best. He's not that. Now, the older of the two women is named Laura, and she is a mouthy drunk. She looks like she just walked straight out of Peyton Place and into Our Lady's house. Now, the younger woman, her name is Tony, with an I, and she's barely an adult. She's like the most immature person you'll ever meet. She's like maybe 18 years and a day yeah. old. Yeah, she's best a case scenario. Shit. She is a little shit, and you spend a lot of the movie just hoping that someone does something terrible to her. Well, also Ugh. kind of recognizing that probably somebody with a silent H in his name probably has. Yeah. You want yeah, you want to play so they met at a bus station? <laughs> they probably did. Are you new in town? I collect legends. <laughs> Here, here's a bottle of bourbon. You want to come with me? And yes. She goes. <laughs> So they have these weird little squabbles during dinner. Tom keeps talking about how back in Portugal he has a castle. He has a castle! And it overlooks the ocean! My father was rich in America. I have a castle that stands above the sea. One of our legends tells us... Tom, what are we doing in this shitty place? I don't know. Really. I have a castle! I mean, that's literally just his part of the conversation. So these are really weird motherfuckers, and they're the most normal people in the movie. Yeah. yeah. That's your baseline. That is your ba that's what you're working with, yep. is these guys. So Laura decides she wants to go into town. So she just starts walking. Bye. See ya. Now, as she's walking, she does accept a ride from Benny the Albino, which, why? I don't... Just... I don't know, dude. Like, red flags immediately as soon as that fucker pulls up in his truck. Because the bed of his truck is full of people staring up at the moon. Silently, just all looking up at the moon. Like, who the fuck gets into the cab of that truck? And when you've got cross-eyed dude with a speech impediment pulls up with people... You know, staring at the moon in the back of his truck, and he's just like, "Hey, lady, you want to ride?" No, what, what, what makes you go? Yes, I think this is a great idea. I absolutely. Well, she ride. doesn't think it is at first, but somehow she's like charmed by. You know, she gets that little look on her face, like, "Ah, what the hell? What the hell? You seem nice. <laughs> I bet I could trust you. It couldn't be worse." in that so, castle in Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, 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 to his credit, Benny the Albino does make an honest attempt to be friendly. He offers Laura something to eat. Um, it's a rat. It is a beach rat, as Benny calls it. And he basically deep throats the thing and chomps it off at the tail. It's crunchy. 
It is crunchy. Laura politely declines his offer of a snack and decides to get out of the truck. Now, here's the mentality that we're dealing with, because it takes that much for her to realize that she may be in a bad situation. (laughs) (laughs) She works her way out of it fairly politely. She does, but at the same time, she's obviously led a sheltered life. Yes, uh, as, as sheltered as one can be as a semi-Stockholm Syndrome-abused uh, <laughs> sex slave to a, an occult investigator. <laughs> and I think she rode a total of, like, what, maybe 100 feet with these guys before she was falling, yeah. like, uh, you know what, I'm just going to get out of the truck now. Mm. Yeah, we've, we've all been there. Mm. I mean, you know, high school. Anyway, when Laura makes it into town, it's late, everything's closed, and there's nobody on the streets except for one woman. She sees one woman kind of hoofing it down the sidewalk, and Laura tries to get her attention, but the woman ignores her. So Laura, of course, being the fatal attraction type, she is not to be ignored, and she follows the woman all the way out to a Ralph's supermarket. This is hilarious to me. Ralph's is a huge supermarket chain in Southern California. They're owned by Kroger. You wouldn't think that this is the kind of publicity that they would want. But there it is. They seem kind of hip. Ralph seems kind of hip? Well, you know, <laughs> with, a rain, with a name like Ralph, it's... I expect it to be full of nothing but Amish butter. Everyone knows a big box can carry more than a small box. And a bigger market can carry more than a smaller one. Because Ralph's is usually bigger, Ralph's can pledge you more ways to save. An average of 15,000 different items, up to one-third more than most others. More choices, more room to save. There are all kinds of discount markets, but only one that's really super. Ralph's, it's almost a market and a half. Join the switch. I'm just... (laughs) I'm full of shit. Just keep going. Ralph's is the name of the last standing strip joint in my area, so... Oh, see, there you go. Completely different context for me. (laughs) It is. Uh, Let's see. We have the mouse's ear and Bambi's and the last chance. But my favorite strip club name ever is in Daytona Beach, Florida. And it's a place called Biggins. (laughs) Biggins. If you had something better than the last chance, I was like waiting with bated breath to hear how I could talk the last chance. (laughs) Well, we also have the Emerald Club here in Knoxville, but that one's really scary. You don't go there. Oh, no. Not unless you just really want syphilis. I was going to say, like, that would be a good name for a club, like the Cotton Swab. Take your own Lysol, really. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Happy hour, two for one antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Laura follows the woman, follows the woman into Ralph's. And it doesn't look like there's too many people in there. She's walking up and down, looking down the aisles. Um, And she finally does find some people, but they're all in the meat department. And they're eating the meat, and it's not cooked. And (laughs) these are all really straight-laced, you know, black suit, white shirt, black tie, thick black framed glasses, high and tight haircuts, Basically, every Kevin Costner movie from, like, the last five years. 
Yep. It, it's it's a Southern California chapter of the Steve Allen fan club. It is. It there is precisely go. that. So once they once they get a whiff of Laura, <laughs> they all go running eh. after her. <laughs> so she's running up and down the aisles again. It's like some kind of it's it's like a, it's like a corn maze. Except it's a grocery store. And finally, somebody tackles her from behind right in front of the Duncan Hines because, you know, moist. Just add an egg. That's it. That's it for her, everybody. Yep. Everybody (laughs) just add an egg. Everybody falls on her and eats her. Okay. Now, after this is one of my favorite parts because it's just such a weird thing for this movie to do. The next day, Tony gets bored waiting for Laura to get back because Laura was supposed to bring her dope. Tom gets sick of Tony's shit and just tells her to go into town. So Tony goes to see a movie. Now, here we go. This is my rant for the for the episode. Marquee shows that the movie playing is called Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye. So if you were worried that the movie wasn't going to display any kind of heavy-handed foreshadowing, you <laughs> can stop worrying right now because... Ah, look! Look at these signs! Um... However, the movie that they're actually showing is called Gone with the West. Well, it's a Western. You probably figured it out, but it's got Sammy Davis Jr. as this leather-clad gunslinger. Now, Sammy started in Westerns all throughout his career. I don't have a problem with that. The thing is, this particular movie never got released in the United States. It got released in Australia under a different title, but it's weird that the filmmakers would choose this movie to show inside their movie because it's so different from what the marquee advertises. I mean, hell, most people just say, ah, Night of the Living Dead's public domain, we can use that. And that makes sense contextually, but Sammy Davis Jr. in black leather pants doesn't it doesn't go. I, but I guess that doesn't matter because fucking she sits down and she watches the goddamn movie anyway. And, and while she's sitting there eating her popcorn very sloppily, it's kind of gross to watch her eat popcorn. It really is. She's just like, just give the girl a shovel, why don't you? <laughs> She's just tilting it back, letting it fall down back behind her head. That's the noise. As the film progresses, the theater begins to fill up with very well-dressed moviegoers all sitting behind her. Now She, she kind of begins to sense that somebody's maybe looking at her <laughs> from behind. And she perceives their terrible intentions toward her. And, it's, and of course, these are the same meat-eating goons that chowed down on Laura the night before. But instead of... Okay. I guess she does run for the door. But she doesn't do it wholeheartedly. <laughs> because I think if she had shoulder-checked one of those suit guys that looks like they were in you know, mission control for Apollo 11, she could have made it through. <laughs> But no, it's more like she just sees them and she's like, and she turns around and she runs towards the screen. Well, at first she tries to invent a core. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she attempting to run like over chairs. Yeah. As opposed to like going for an aisle. Like, and you know, it's worth noting too, like running over chairs where like most of these ghoul type people are actually seated. So it's almost like a real it's a bold military tactic. It's a bold, yes, which I think I've also seen in seventies musicals. <laughs> and she's short, so like it's really kind of awkward and clumsy. Maybe it was the Sammy Davis pre- uh, 
uh, presence that like threw her. Maybe she was expecting like to get like sort of like a body surf thing. That's <laughs> very possible. Maybe she thought they would break out into, um, you know, the candy man. He had well, a, they kind of do. <laughs> he had a big hit. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Because, you know, as, as Tony's running towards the screen, they all bum rush the show and take her down. And she does this weird kind of little hula dance of death before she finally gets eaten. <laughs> it's really weird. Just, ah, it's kind of like the Leatherface dance at the end of TCM. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we, the audience, knew this shit was coming because this movie is great at just giving kind of heavy foreshadowing because as soon as she got to the movie theater and bought her fucking ticket, like, the lady at the ticket booth, like, turned her sign around to closed and shut down all of the lights. So we all knew she was fucked. Yeah. And there is a motif, and we'll come across another example of it here in a couple minutes, the motif in this movie is if you are a victim, run to the worst place possible. Run to where there is no available point of exit. Just do that. So now the question is, what the fuck are these monsters? What are these people? Are they zombies? Are they vampires? Have they all been infected with this disease that Arletti's father has, which he details in his diary, he says that his body temperature drops to 85 degrees and that he can no longer feel pain and he's bleeding from the eyes. So he's turning into Perry Farrell. But... <laughs> Not Farrell pox. Uh. <laughs> yes. He's, he's going feral with Perry Farrell. Oh, God. I'm going to cut that. <laughs> I would be apt to categorize them as zombies because of the flesh eating, but this all happens the night that the fabled blood moon finally rises, and that's when the entire town goes apeshit. And by the entire town, I mean about 15 people, yep. mm -hmm. and two of them are cops. <laughs> Tom is in town for some reason. I can't remember. Maybe he went after Tony? Or Laura? Or Dope? I don't know. Maybe... He blurted something about Tony. Okay. And... Because I don't let that bitch rot. It may have been the girl. It may have been like, oh, I need some Tony hair care products. <laughs> but, uh... I need a body wave. And I'd like to do it at home. So Tom gets caught in between the small crowd of monster people and the police. The cops just fire randomly into the mob. It doesn't matter. They're, they're not killing anybody. Um, and then one of the cops starts bleeding from the eyes. So he's infected. And when the one cop sees that the other cop is infected, he just turns tail and runs because he is there to serve and protect his own ass. <laughs> but the infected cop shoots him in the back and then everybody else just eats him. So again, fresh pig for dinner. Mm. What? <laughs> I will make, I will make that joke. The classics never go out of style. But... Exactly. And I'm not afraid to reach down really low. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the house with broken windows, Arletti's father finally shows back up and he literally looks like he just walked off of the set of an old Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode. Yeah. He looks like he doesn't smell good. 
And he's also pissed because he told Arletti not to follow him. And now she's been exposed to the infection and she's down with the sickness. <laughs> anyway, most of his face is gone. So he's got no room to talk, really. He starts rambling about the dark stranger coming back and how he doesn't really want to, you know, make a quick meal out of her throat, but he's gonna because you followed me and now I can't, I can't help it. I already human flesh. So family ties be damned, Arletti stabs him with some garden shears and at the same time manages to spill some paint thinner. There's a lot of stuff in this <laughs> house. Artist studios are dangerous places. Sure. say. He was a, a crafty kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> Arletti sets him on fire. This is what happens when paint thinner meets polyester. <laughs> and already partially rotted skin. But he burns for a long time. This is like a killer scene. Yeah, it yes, it is. This is up there with uh, Tony Cesare's burn stunt in the thing. You could have cooked an entire meal over her dad. <laughs> and I did not expect that because that guy was, was pretty scrawny. The, the only thing that takes you out of that is just the sheer amount of like paint thinner and actual, what I'm assuming is oil paint that was spilled around there prior to that. Well, like, I, I think... was almost expecting that entire studio to go up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah every time Tom lights a cigarette, it's just gonna like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. I think we're fine. So when Tom gets back to the house, Arletti is just, she's in a terrible state. She's exhibiting the effects of the disease. She's cold. She says she thinks she might be dead already. Never a good sign from a girl you want to fuck. Um, <laughs> she starts vomiting bugs. Ew. Yeah. Uh, that's always sexy. Uh, yeah. And lizards. Don't forget the lizards. But roaches, millipedes, lizards. Earthworms. So right. So... <laughs> The upside of that, of course, that she is providing her own food source. So she's bringing that to the relationship. It's helping the budget. However, she's also nuts. So she stabs Tom in the arm with the shears, too. And they decide, here we go again with the Matif, they decide to run to the beach. Because that's the safest place they can think of. They go out front. There's people there. They go to the beach. So now they have the ocean on one side. And they have killer monster men in gray flannel suits on the other side. So they've painted themselves into a corner, and the monsters start chasing them down the beach. It's like an old Herman Herman's Hermits video. And so, well, it, so they head out into the ocean, and so they can, you know, swim out past the breakers and watch the world die. But the reverse happens because Tom drowns. He's a lousy swimmer. Well, you know, when you got a four-inch gash in your forearm, it's probably pretty hard to swim. It was a pretty, you know, hard arm shot, too, because, like, he started spitting out blood. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> that, that wound goes really deep. Yeah, that was some serious trauma. Uh, from his arm into his throat. Yeah, it's weird. That's... Chain reactions. That's Maybe he got attacked by a shark while he was out there. You know, he's bleeding profusely and all that. Arletti is captured by the people in town, and they let her go. Why? What the fuck? Why does this happen? They have spent literally in the entire movie trying to capture this one woman because of her father, 
And when they get her, they let her go. Well, they give her a fabulous perm first. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's where the Tony hair products come in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. It all ties back. <laughs> Our lady gets placed into a mental institution because she keeps telling everybody about the blood moon and the sickness <laughs> and the messiah of evil who will come from the sea and spread his belief systems up and down the western seaboard. Again, it's, it's, it's like an Est workshop, I guess, but she knows they're going to come for her, though, someday. Someday. And that's pretty much how it ends. Just weird kind of polarized hallways in light and her painting and and the voiceover and voiceover more voiceover during the day they let me out with the others we sit in the sun and wait we sleep and we dream each of us dying slowly in the prison of our minds but wait, because there was one part that really pissed you off, Cootie. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, the explanation. Oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Totally lost track of that. Yeah, this. Uh, you do. I know. <laughs> I was I was totally with this movie up until this point when she's sitting there painting her oil painting in the garden at the fucking insane asylum. And she's telling the story. And she tells us where the fucking dark man came from. And it turns out he was part of the Donner Party. So this whole fucking thing was because, I guess, he was part of the Donner Party. He ate human flesh and God cursed him. I don't know. This is like, it's like Dracula only with, you know, zombies eating flesh instead of fucking blood drinkers. I don't know. Uh, he was a preacher who rejected his faith and yeah. found a new dark faith and then like messed with a trapper's head and then walked into the water and there's a prophecy and stuff. That's stupid. I wake up muddy and I go to bed bloody cause I'm a trapping man. <laughs> it was stupid. It seemed like a, just a really kind of shitty way to try to to like bring shit together at the very very fucking end of the movie and yeah. i don't think it needed it no when, when you've got something that's like deliriously nonsensical and and like is owning that you don't need an origin story not at all like can you imagine it's like uh well i can imagine because there's a remake coming but you, you don't need the El- elena marcos origin story in suspiria you don't need the flashback Mm-mm. some person got witchy powers and started a dance academy and why they did that in a two minute flashback that's the that's the major stumble that this uh that this flock takes yep i agree yeah i mean we don't need a prequel about carrie's mother (laughs) oh you say that but it's like someday there's going to be like a 16 hour netflix mini series all about that Ugh. Okay, how about this then? We didn't need cabin fever patient zero. (laughs) If anyone argues against that point, send them my way. 
All right. Tell you what, let's ease down, take a quick break, and Act 3 of Kiss the Goat will emerge from the black water right after this. Hey, you like podcasts about food? Well, how about chains? Boy, howdy, are you in luck? <laughs> I'm Cootie. My name is X, and you might know us from the wildly successful Kiss the Goat podcast. But when we're not drinking fine white wine and helling Satan, we're watching animal attack movies. Holes in the ozone layer. Giant rodents. Packs of wild creatures roaming the streets in search of the most dangerous prey. Humanity. Join us and a special guest animal expert. I'm going to have your health inspector, Badge Grabowski. Hi, I'm Allison. I've tried a lot of stuff. You never smashed an ant and smelled it? Every other Thursday on the food chain, where nature runs amok and mankind is always on the menu. That's the food chain, exclusively on the Legion Podcast Network. Animal attack, bitches! Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I'm Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right. We have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon-exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? <laughs> we got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. And it's time for the fastest movie breakdown on the internet. Three questions. Three questions! Stop! Who would crush the bridge of death? Question number one, is Messiah of Evil a devil movie? Uh, nope. Nope. <laughs> Thank you, Al. <laughs> not a fucking devil movie, not by any stretch of the imagination. Not only does the Horn one not show up, but there really is no, absolutely zero reference to Satanism or satanic activity or even demonic activity this no, is just some no fucking... that's wrong that's wrong because there what? is mention of the elder gods well that's not necessarily associated with demonic activity unless okay. you're just uneducated 
Yeah, none of the town folk even like makes like a half cocked suggestion that Satan is involved in any of this. It's there's not even there's not really any like kind of you know Christian backlash involved in this. No yeah. one even like you know appeals to God to save them or anything. I would say that there are Lovecraftian overtones to this. Yes, definitely. Definite. definite. But you're I mean, technically you're right. Nothing devilish, but I don't know. That old God's reference is enough to kind of creep me out a little bit. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Creep factor's there for sure, but not, not not attributed to the horned one. Right on. All right, so question number two. On a scale of one to six, how many horns high would you give Messiah of evil? Let's start with Al. Oh, this is a tough one. Uh, if, if this is like a measure of how much I would recommend the film to somebody versus how much I personally enjoy it. Um, I'd be very selective. I would probably give this a two and a half if I can do that to somebody that I don't know, but I know likes horror movies. Um, but in terms of like a measure of how much I enjoy watching this movie, I'd have to go like between four and five. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Cause I was going to rate it a four. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, 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 I really thought this film was unique and I have watched a lot of shit and you all fucking know how much shit we put ourselves through. So, um, when <laughs> I say that this is unique, I really mean it's unique. Like it, I think it's a zombie movie, um, but it's not really a zombie movie. So, um, it's really interesting. It's really, really Dated. I mean, it is very, very set in the early 70s, and there's no mm. denying that, but that's part of its beauty, in my opinion. So, yeah, I give it a solid four horns. I'm going to go four and a half to five. It's kind of nice, kind of wavers in the middle of that. It's one of those movies that works really well within its own logic, and it's kind of that nightmare dream logic that I love, yeah. Where, yeah. They, where the filmmakers just drop you into a universe, and they don't explain shit, and they just rely on Until the, the voiceovers. Oh, God, the fucking voiceovers. <laughs> if you can well, yeah. You alluded to this, too. Like, one of the things that kind of, like, drew you out of it was when they tried to do the Donner Party flashback and yeah. give sort of a context and explanation. This is one of the few films that I think gets hurt by trying to explain what's going on. I agree. Yeah, I was totally with it up until that, and that only happens in like the last 10 minutes of the film. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, four and a half to five for me. I really, really enjoyed this movie on its own kind of creepy um, I'm having a terrible nightmare level and yeah. and you're right the thing that detracts from it is the voiceovers it's like here's what you're having a nightmare about um if you'll notice this dog it has a sign around its neck that says i'm your dad so i mean <laughs> <laughs> that's that really kind of that, that that kind of blows it for me but yeah four and a half to five i really i really dug this all right. Well, uh, finally, question number three is, why should our listeners watch Messiah of Evil, or should they? Now, I think we probably partially answered that with question number two, but um, starting with Chef Al, you want to expand on that a little bit? For sure. I, th I think one of the things that's really interesting about this one is um, it's, it is 1973, and there's a lot of like things that we would consider parts of 70s horror um, that are entrenched, but this beat a bunch of them to it. 
so you've got like the you know pre-dawn of the dead um monster chomp down zombie kind of action in like hubs of commercial product activity like the supermarket and the movie theater mm-hmm. uh, you've got this like pre-phantasm uh kind of decayed dead city where there's horrible things going on and everything's kind of you know there, there, there's great bets of like um, I think it's Laura, like going wandering through, like subdivision, look like middle of it being constructed. That's just stopped. Uh, it almost anticipates a bunch of the stuff that we would consider hallmarks of like '70s genre films, and got there like at the very early part of the uh, decade. It, it, this this movie will remind you of a lot of films that you really love, mm-hmm. and it got there first. Yeah, and that's the fascinating thing for me while watching this movie is uh, there there were several points where I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of like, and then I realized, oh, this came before. So um, it, for me, it was just, it was a weird, weird watch. Um, there's several points where it's unsettling, and I think that they did a really good job with the pacing of the film from start to finish. You know, up until the whole Donner Party bullshit at the very end where they're trying to wrap everything up and put it in a, a neat little tidy box, which irritates the fuck out of me in any film. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, yes, I I wholeheartedly recommend this. <laughs> but horror fan or not, I think you should watch this movie just, just because of those things. But especially if you're a horror fam, fam, film geek. I think it's worth it to note that this film was written and directed by Willard Hike and Gloria Katz. Um, they're the people who wrote American Graffiti. They wrote Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. They wrote Howard the Duck, for fuck's sake. Um, they also wrote one of my favorite underwatched and underrated movies, The Radioland Murders, which if you've never <laughs> oh, really? seen... If you've never seen Radioland Murders, I strongly recommend that you check that shit out because that is so good. Um, mm. So, yeah, we're talking about some very talented people here, and yeah, I liked Howard the Duck, so what? Fuck you. Um, <laughs> but the reason that this movie will remind you of movies that you've seen before is because this movie obviously was a tremendous influence on filmmakers that came after Um uh, it's a prototype of a lot of things that we've seen and loved before. So yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. You should totally so. watch this movie. And let me just say, Messiah of Evil, for some reason, is in the public domain, and you can watch it on YouTube right now, and you absolutely should do that. Which is what we did. Hell yeah. Yep. I watched it on YouTube as well, even though I have it on a few different DVDs because it always shows up on one of those Mill Creek great horror movies for $2.99. <laughs> and, and that's, I think maybe that's one of the reasons why, I don't know if uh, not enough people have actually seen this one because it does suffer from a lot of like signal to noise. And it's actually too, one of those, we talked about the opening of the film. The, the first 10 minutes are kind of painful to get through. They are. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> If you, if you slap it on and think, oh, my God, am I in for an hour and a half of this? <laughs> then I can see why you would bail. But once you get through the ropey, like, musical intro song. Hold on to love. Hold on to love. 
And actually, I would say once you get to the artist's beach house and you see the set design, because that is like one of the most amazing sets. It's it incredible. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that like the, the way everything in there is filmed is amazing. And and it's funny you should say that because when we started watching this, like if I'm not interested in a movie, I will sit and like play a fucking Facebook game or something while it's on and just kind of half watch it. And then, um, but this one was that way. Of course, the the opening sequence was kind of jarring with the song, and I was like, ah, what the hell's on? And I'm watching it. But after that, I was just kind of like, until we got to the artist house, and I was like the fuck is that's an escalator painted on a wall and it looks amazing what's with all those people so yeah up until that point i was kind of like yeah i don't know about this but once once they got to that house i was like oh okay now you got my attention yeah that's the sign that's like oh these these guys have something going on yeah right like yeah you know, they say alcohol is a great tool, but a lousy crutch, and I can't attest to the truth of that. But I do know that I have watched a lot of movies tore up from the floor up. <laughs> sometimes it helps, and sometimes I fall asleep. But if you decide to have a few shots while watching Messiah of Evil, we can help you with that. It's time for Drinking with the Devil, where your love of movies meets your disdain for your own liver. <laughs> so, first one, drink every time you want to slap Tony for being a whiny little child. <laughs> drink every time you catch someone staring at the moon oh boy drink every time you see a character and think well she's fucked <laughs> drink every time there's a voiceover ouch well our grandmaster challenge let's let Al pick that Al, you got a grandmaster challenge for our drinking point for this film? <sighs> Drink. Every time somebody ruminates on what is the nature of being in a dream and or a nightmare. <laughs> oh, wow. There you go. Al wants <sighs> to kill our listeners just as much as we do. <laughs> now please remember that we here at kiss the goat do not condone or accept underage drinking or alcohol abuse however they've it's always, always worked, worked for us yeah. now since this episode is indeed the chef al special cootie and i didn't really ask for a cooking segment but I, did you create something for this movie you'd like to tell us about and you can say no if you didn't that's fine i i actually did and I... you, you can have dinner with us. You like head cheese. My brother makes it real good. You like it. And you know if you said two ripe bananas, you put them in a bowl and you put some sugar and you go ahead and bake it for 400, you can go ahead and pull it out and have yourself banana bread. Hallelujah. Pancakes. Pancakes. No pancakes. Pancakes. No pancakes. No, fuck off. I'm full. 
beautiful. If, if, you know, it's like we're talking 1970s, California. It's like the year of Alice Waters and the creation of California cuisine. So it's all, you know, regional, local and, you know, celebrating the local bounty and all that kind of stuff and beach rats. Um, but uh, <laughs> so... Um, I was going to avoid the rat thing. I recently actually had a bit of a rat situation in my home. Um, oh, that'll turn you off for sure. Yeah, as of a couple of weeks ago, I actually... This is, this is a TMI situation. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I found out that uh, rats actually find electric stoves to be a good place to nest. Oh. And it's actually a fairly common occurrence. And yeah, um, if you if you if you Google uh, rats stoves, you'll get lots of great pictures, and realize just how common this is, apparently. No. And I'm not doing that. Yeah, no, maybe you don't want to. <laughs> but, um, anyway, this was a good excuse to upgrade to a nice new stove in my home. And um, so, yeah, recently I wound up beating a rat to death with a cast iron pan. And, uh, <laughs> learned, no matter, uh, Daxons have a great reputation for being mousers and ratters. Apparently not so much. <laughs> <laughs> All of my dogs let me down. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm, av- I'm avoiding because now I know just what they smell like once they're crushed. Um, I'm going to avoid doing like rat recipes. But uh, yeah, so I thought California. Um, Uber Alice? <laughs> kind of. Uh, well, oh, I hope we're not going to get to that, are we? It's not gonna get that. <laughs> we're not going to get to Jerry Brown, no. <laughs> no, okay. Oh, God. Um, so I thought, like, a sort of a, uh, uh, to go with this, you know, we've got, like, fires on the beaches. It's sort of the end of the summer. We're on the coast. I thought we'd do something like a, uh, like a, between that and all the references to, like, people going crazy and acting like animals and eating raw meat, I thought, like, a nice fish tartare would be a, uh, a good way to go for this. So, um, yeah, th- this is what I'd recommend going with this one. Some uh, fire-roasted tomatoes. And get them like nice and uh, slow roasted over open flame till they're almost like kind of like a warm sun dried kind of an effect. Um, I have, I actually have sort of a, a recipe for a uh, an eel tartare, kind of like using uh, Japanese like sushi style preserved eel, uh, and just to make it a little luxurious and to give it a bit of a a, a, a bit more of an earthy kind of a thing, uh, we've worked a little bit of uh, foie gras into there too. Um, it's really simple stuff because it's essentially all you know cold and uh, you just it's more about chopping it than cooking it. Thematically, that's kind of what I have for that, but I did pour it on a recipe, and I'm going to send you guys some photos uh, to go with that as well, and hopefully you'll be able to check that out on the website. Absolutely you can, and that's at kissthegoat.com, where Al has his own section called The Devil Leads Out, which is all of his recipes that he has contributed to the show, so yeah, we're looking forward to that. And um, I should point out, too, uh, we're we're moving in, you know, we're, we're heading into fall, and, and uh, October is not too far away, so I'm going to be starting to plan, like, some Halloween menus and that kind of a thing so uh anything that i come up with for that i'll try to send some photos along to the uh, facebook group and uh i'll see if i can create some things that are kind of like equal parts repulsion and you want to eat that 
<laughs> that sounds awesome. We actually have a uh, we're we're planning an awesome lineup for October, so that uh that should be fun. Nice, nice. All right. Uh, well, this is the part of the show where we get all interactive and shit. Uh, people, get ready for America's favorite game of questioning and answering. This is Ask the Goat, where we answer your questions and you question our answers. I'll send you a love letter. Straight from my heart, fucker. You know what a love letter is? It's a bullet from a fucking gun, fucker. You receive a love letter from me. You're fucked forever! As my smoking hot high priestess cootie bug rummages through the malevolent mailbag... Rummage, rummage, rummage! Let us remind you that you can always send a question to Ask the Go 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. There are three ways... To accomplish this feat. There are, and the simplest way is to Facebook your face onto our Book of Face and join the Kiss the Goat Facebook group page at www.facebook.com slash kissthegoat. There's lots of cool people hanging out there to keep you entertained and informed, and it's it's really honestly a lot of fun. <laughs> You can also leave us a voicemail by calling the GOAT line at 865-309-4969. We will play your question on the show and answer it in our own inimitable way. That's the GOAT line, 865-309-4969. And you can also email us your question. Fire that puppy off to askthegoat at thegoatofmadness.com. Bombs away, dream babies. Let's get into this. Gary Hill, my brother from another mother and host of the Cinema Beef podcast, sends in this question via Facebook. Does it sound feasible that the devil went down to Georgia looking for one soul to steal? You wouldn't think he would be way behind in a bind with an area where I'm sure they would be ripe for the picking. <laughs> hmm. Okay, hold up. <laughs> this is just the kind of answer that I would expect from a dude who lives outside Chicago. You, <laughs> you do not understand the South. You do not understand how things work down here. And by God, there are probably more Pentecostals in Georgia than there are anywhere else in the southern United States. Are there? I would think so. I've lived in Georgia. I don't remember that many Pentecostals. You were on an army base. Well, I lived in Augusta before I moved on to the base. <laughs> you got to get down deep. Got to get down uh, close to that uh, close to that state line. Like subterranean Pentecostal, uh, south of <laughs> Atlanta, shit. Is what right, he's thinking, the I guess. fucking snake handlers and shit. So there's a lot of, and I'm talking even in Atlanta. And Duluth, where there's a ton of just mega churches, Creflo Dollars mega churches in Duluth, Georgia. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I don't know. I'm pretty sure Creflo's going to hell, but <laughs> I don't really get to make that call. I'm thinking that if you're really looking, if you're going to go somewhere to find one soul to steal, that would probably be Australia. <laughs> it is an island of convicts and their descendants. Oh boy. And I think we've had this discussion on this show before. I think so. With the exception of, I don't know, Amanda Palmer and the witch, I think I think that whole place is doomed. Crocodile <laughs> that's, that's that's the that's the third 
that's the fourth movie. Is Crocodile Dundee Goes to Hell? Oh boy. Oh, why isn't that? I, I always wanted to see Crocodile Dundee versus Predator. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a natural. That's on a wrist-based self-destruct button. <laughs> all right uh let's see next question is from rolf pickler he asks if you could drop pat robertson or any horrid televangelist of your choice into a devil movie which one would it be and what would happen okay all right i got some uh okay first of all jack van impey Oh, nice one. And not, okay, not a horror film per se, but straddles the line. Cruising. (laughs) And in terms of what would happen, what wouldn't happen. (laughs) That's fun. What color bandana would Jack Van Nippy have in his back pocket? In his hair. <laughs> I think Rexilla is a friggin' handkerchief sign on four, on legs. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you know oh, what I think would be fun? <laughs> I think that uh, taking Pat Robertson and dropping him not in a into a devil movie... Really, because let's face it, these guys, they're primed for this shit, right? They feel like they've been training their entire fucking lives to face the shit that, that flies in devil movies. I would like to take Pat Robertson and drop him in the middle of Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, put him in a fucking car with three just beautiful drag queens and drive him across the country. That's the movie I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> I could still kind of see like John Haggy, uh and like the tall man. I, I would just like, yeah. you think you go to heaven when you die. <laughs> you come to us. <laughs> and just like him trying to talk his way out of that. I think that would be kind of hilarious. I want to see Ken Copeland uh, in, the, in The Devil's Advocate. <laughs> I want to see Ken Copeland try to pull enough money out of his ATM to buy a plane, and he can't do it. (laughs) It's because Al Pacino's law firm owns the bank. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) Our favorite angry ginger, Matt Tangen, from the Good, the Bad, and the Cheesy podcast, sent this one in on the Facebook page, and it is for all three of us. Chef Al, Axe, and Cootie, if they made a movie about you, who would you want to play you? And what fictional plot would you like interwoven into your life to spice up the plot? Yeah, that takes some thinking, doesn't it? This is a very yes and kind of scenario. (laughs) Right? I will start. I want Michael Shannon to play me. Okay. Michael Shannon, huh? Yep. Uh... Oh, I know who I want to play you, Cootie Buck. Well, who do you want to play me? Because I'm thinking. I want Charlize Theron to play you. I'm not badass enough for Charlize Theron. (laughs) Ah, bullshit! 
is no. not true. You are my thinking... you are my Furiosa. I was I was thinking either Becky Lynch or Juliet <laughs> Lewis. Although Juliet Lewis oh my God. is skinny to play me, but <laughs> she's a little bit older than me. But that would be amazing. Like I would just I would masturbate through the whole movie. Like me. That's, you would be both. Jesus Christ. Yeah. How about you, Al? Lines, I think would be. I would be totally behind that. Yeah. Who did you say? Oh, for myself. Yeah. Oh God, uh, that's tough. Um, who's really tall and gangly? Um, <laughs> Crispin Glover. <laughs> Crispin Glover. You see, like that was actually one that came to my mind. Um, one of the best jobs I ever had in my life. I kind of got on the basis that I was described by one of the people uh, watching my job interview, not participating in it, as the slightly crazier-looking Christian Slater. Oh, I have so much so, love for Christian Slater. Yeah, man, yeah. that's badass. Okay, so I, I, I'd be happy with that. Okay, so you're Christian Slater. I am Michael Shannon, and Cootie is Becky Lynch or Juliet Lewis. The God, the combination of Becky Lynch and Juliet Lewis. I just, I'm going to go to the bathroom right now. Yeah, I think that kind of nails it, right? That's like that's really that's just dead on. Yeah. Okay. So what fictional plot do we want interwoven into our lives to spice up the plot? We are all on MasterChef. <laughs> as competitors. And they spend a lot of time on camera talking about the three of us in the dorm. Trying to figure out who is cooking something up behind the cameras. <laughs> That is so fucked up and weird. I'm sorry that I even said that now, but it's too late. It's out there. He watches a lot of cooking shows, folks. I do. So Lots sorry. Of shows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, our faithful acolyte and a man who stayed with us all night without being sacrificed to the darkness. Chuck Knight has questions all around. So um, he says, Al, who influenced you to cook? My stomach. Um, (laughs) 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 That's uh, that's actually a good question. Um, I've always been kind of divided in that, that it's um, kind of a, Atlantic Canadian stereotype of the kitchen party, host party, hospitality in the home kitchen. So in many respects, I would say my mother on that level and my grandmother on the eating in restaurants kind of level. Mm. So my grandmother couldn't really cook to save her soul, but she really appreciated going out and eating food and the rituals of eating out and my mother has always been very much like a you know relatively adventurous home cook so between the two of them that's kind of what put a lot of the psyche in me that's that's a very prosaic answer but that's probably about as accurate as it can get and i'm and i'm obsessive compulsive and once I get into something, I go really into it. <laughs> so. Just kind of run with it, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right. Chuck also asks, X and Cootie, since I cannot have it, 
who do I run to when it all falls down? Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, shit, Chuck, I, I really, I think I understand where you're going with this, but I also think that you're kind of dancing around it. There are other questions that need to be asked to help refine your original question. So, Chuck, the answer to your question could be Anne and Nancy Wilson. I mean, you you could potentially run to them, but we also want you to consider this. This has been a good session, Chuck. I thought we were getting close to a breakthrough. I, I think we have a spot open next Tuesday, so see the receptionist on your way out, honey. One more question from Mr. Knight. What is the most underrated movie yet to get a Blu-ray release and the most overrated movie to get a Blu-ray release? Now, here's how I'm interpreting this question. The first part, I think he's asking which underrated movie needs a Blu-ray release, but has not yet gotten one. And the second half is obvious, which most overrated movie has gotten a Blu-ray release and didn't really need all that hype. I hate questions like this. (laughs) I can't keep track of what's on (laughs) Blu-ray. Exactly. And I am not the, really, I'm not the film aficionado that X is. Like, I, unless I'm just, like, really blown away by a a certain film i don't remember actors and actresses names i don't fucking remember directors i am not this encyclopedia where i remember who did the music and who was the producer and who was the fucking you know first gaff or whatever on these films (laughs) like x does he could sit there and watch the credits on a film and be like oh that fucker did blah 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 see i i don't get into that it's like i either like it or i don't like it and I don't know what has Blu-ray releases and, and what doesn't. So these kinds of questions, I'm just like, I sit here and make, you know, wank motions with my hand because I don't know. And honestly, I'll, I don't know. I'll give an answer to the first part. Okay. And I'll, I'll go deep on this because I know it's not only this movie does not have a Blu-ray re, uh, release, it hasn't got a DVD release. And that's the return of Captain Invincible. The lost Richard O'Brien, uh, Alan Arkin, and uh, Christopher Lee starring superhero satire musical. Forty years ago, he was the hero of the day until the system knocked him out of the skies. Flying without a pilot's license. Wearing underwear in public. Forty years ago, he said he'd never fly again. And for good reason. I couldn't even tell the good guys from the bad guys. But when his country calls... We need you badly, Captain Invincible. We need you now, real badly. When the evil Mr. Midnight threatens America... Today, New York, 
control his magnetic ability. What the world needs now oh, yeah. is a shining hero. Oh, yes, what the world needs now is a glory man who will fly down and save the day. It's the return of Captain Invincible, legend in leotards. Cape Contender and Man of Magnet. Magnet on! Fighting evil. <laughs> Fighting booze. Choose your booze! Let's hit the red eye! There's nothing sicker in society than a lack of liquor and sobriety. So, drink, drink, drink! Fighting bull. Bull, bull, bull. The return of Captain Invincible. Everything's going to be just great again. Captain Invincible. Which was, in this day and age, with all of the Marvel movies and such, would be well received and well worth a watch. So that I, I can do that as a layup. Um, in terms of overrated, oh boy, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> My underrated movie is from 1967, and it is called The Creature with the Blue Hand. <laughs> spricht Edgar Wallace. Wie sah er aus? Ich, ich habe ihn nicht gesehen. Nicht sein Gesicht, aber seine Hand. Eine eiserne Hand mit lauter Messer. Die blaue Hand. Hinter jeder Tür lauert der Tod. Ein neuer, spannungsgeladener Kriminalfilm. Sagen Sie, dahinter steckt. Halten Sie mich nicht für verrückt. In einer Irrenanstalt, in der Nähe von London, enden alle Spuren. Scotland Yard schickt seinen besten Mann. Aber auch er kommt zu spät. Wie unvorsichtig, Schwester Harris. Der Keller eines alten Schlosses wird ein schauriges Geheimnis. Die blaue Hand sucht neue Opfer. Ah! Wieder ein echter Edgar-Wallace-Film. Ich halte es nicht mehr aus, dieses... dieses Warten auf den nächsten Mord. Ein Butler treibt seltsame Spiele. Und ich frage mich nun, warum Scotland Yard nicht in der Lage ist, einen Mörder aufzufinden, von dem man weiß, wer er ist. Wer steckt wirklich dahinter? Das neue Meisterwerk eines Krimi-Spezialisten. Die blaue Hand. Ein harter Fall für Scotland Yard. Wir haben auch unsere Beziehungen. Ich bin unschuldig! Ich bin unschuldig! Aber wer käme denn für die morgigen Frage? Nur einer kann das Rätsel lösen. Und ich weiß auch wie. Mit
teuflischen Mitteln wird ein Mädchen erpresst. Verbrecher sind Sie. Wieso? Wie kommen Sie darauf? Wer sich dem Unheimlichen in den Weg stellt, ist schon ein toter Mann. Hände hoch! Jetzt fühle ich mich selber ein ganz klein wenig wahnsinnig. Es ist unmöglich, von Edgar Wallace nicht gefesselt zu sein. Nein! Ich bin raus! Nein! Hilfe! Die blaue Hand. Ein neuer Höhepunkt der berühmten Serie. Die sensationelle Lösung des unheimlichen Falles erleben Sie demnächst in diesem Theater. Fertig! Well, Italy was cranking out Gialli by the fucking fistful. Germany was putting out a shit ton of grindhousey exploitation films based on the novels of Edgar Wallace. And The Creature with the Blue Hand stars Klaus Kinski in a double role about a killer in kind of a German Gothic castle who slips on a blue metal glove and murders people with it. And I saw this fucking when I was like seven. I should not have seen this when I was seven. But it was on TV. It was on our local UHF station before cable took over. And I was like, what the shit is this? I'll watch this. And it terrified me. And it's so great. It's just like an old dark house mystery, except the killer has a blue spiked metal hand. Now, you can get this on DVD. It is on a double feature DVD with a movie called The Bloody Dead, which I have not seen. But Creature with the Blue Hand deserves a Blu-ray release all by itself. It is amazing. Klaus Kinski is creepy as fuck in it. The scene where he escapes from the mental asylum is amazing. And I would, yeah, I would buy that first day on (laughs) Blu-ray. Now, as far as overrated, fuck you. Because everything Hollywood (laughs) puts out is overrated. The the eighth friggin' Fast and Furious movie got a Blu-ray release, okay? Buy that shit at Target with sparkling water and tampons. Nobody cares! Nobody cares about that (laughs) shit. So, there's a lot of overrated Blu-rays, but Creature with the Blue Hand, a movie that deserves it, Along with, I would say, Murder Mansion, those are the movies that need Blu-ray releases next. The German versions of Gialli, and they're incredible. Oh. All right. There you go. Another bit of wisdom from the X. Ha-ha! Ha-ha! All right. So, uh, finally, wrapping this shit up, it's it really would not be a proper Ask the Goat without a voicemail from Matt, the Angry Ginger. And Chef Al, this one's especially for you. Hey, this is Matt the Angry Ginger from the Bad, the Weird, the Cheesy podcast. Call in and ask a question. And my question is actually for Chef Al. So Satan shows up at your house and demands you cook him a dinner. What dinner would you cook him? And, you know, act like your soul's on the line because it probably is. Anyways, take it easy, guys. Bye. Oh, uh, like, okay. Based on what I have. 
I'm going live with this. Let's see what I have in the cupboard. Da, 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 da. Sweet. All right. <laughs> oh, man. It's Sunday. <laughs> I haven't done shopping. We haven't either. Oh, my God. Just oh, capers. Just nothing but capers. I've got a jar of olives, um, some onions. <laughs> you know what? I would probably run around in a panic. That's what I would tell myself. But then I would – everything would go all around as Bosch. And, or if I still had that rat that I smashed around. <laughs> There you I go. Might still, I might still be in the compost. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's thinking on your feet, Al. Good mm. job. <laughs> you got to improvise. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Kiss to Go. Look, thanks to Chef Al for suggesting the movie and hanging out through Acts two and three. Thanks to Bo at Legion for all of his hard work keeping us going, and thanks to you folks for listening to this fucking psychobabble that we put out every once in a while. Jesus. Does it even qualify as psychobabble? I think maybe. <laughs> maybe just babble. Just, it's maybe psycho and babble. I don't know. I think Attorneys yeah. at law. They solve that... crimes. <laughs> Right. Okay. We're looking for we're looking for Harry Angel. <laughs> Do you God get it? it? <laughs> God damn it! You too. <laughs> Let me separate you. <laughs> oh, stream of consciousness. It's like a garden hose with a with a kink in it. It's kind of, of consciousness, like. Y'all got kinks, all right. Wine sap and Macintosh. <laughs> Children. Okay, if you guys dig this show, please check out our other podcast. It is called The Food Chain, and it is all about animal attack movies. We've got special guests on every episode. It's kind of a different format, but still a whole lot of fun, just like well, this show. Uh, the Food Chain is available on the Legion Network of Podcasts. Don't forget our, about our merch store, Where the Goat, which is on our website, kissthegoat.com. Lots of fun stuff related to the show that you can proudly wear to tent revivals and funerals. <laughs> That's right. All right, kids, this circle is open. You may now move freely about the cabin. Until next time, I'm Cootie. My name is X. And that's Chef, Chef Al. Al. <laughs> <laughs> He's over there sitting in Nova Scotia, wondering whether or not he should say something. <laughs> One, two, three. Hail Satan! <laughs>
picnic plan for you and me A rope in hand for your other man to hang from a tree Original Spin, Cindy Spin Fallon. <laughs>